we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. We're looking together this morning in Philippians chapter number four, Philippians chapter number four. And uh, we began last week looking at this passage. And so uh, we're going to look at it together again this morning, Philippians chapter four. We'll begin reading in verse number one, Philippians chapter four and verse number one. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord. My dearly beloved, I beseech Iodias and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God in the peace of God, which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true and whatsoever uh, things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Let's pray together. Fathers, we come together around your word. We pray that the Lord Jesus Christ, with whom we've been raised together and seated with him in heavenly places, would be our preacher this morning. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would quicken our hearts and minds, help us to receive your truth, help us to respond in obedience to it, bless the reading of your word, and I pray that you would enable me to communicate the truth of it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. We note the phrase that we find in verse number one, so stand fast in the Lord. Our theme that we've taken for the next few Sundays is stand fast. Uh, We're attempting to stand fast as we live in a pressure-packed world. And we noted last Lord's Day, seven fortifying truths that we find in this passage that will enable us and empower us to stand fast in the Lord. And I gave you all seven of those uh, last Sunday. And now we're going to look at them one by one. And so we'll start with number one today. And here it is, stand fast in partnership. That's the title of the message this morning, stand fast in partnership. The good thing about this situation that we're living in today is that we are not alone. We have the Lord. He has promised never to leave us nor forsake us. He came to dwell within you the moment that you received him as your savior. And he will be with you until the end and then we'll be with him for all eternity. 
But one of the great issues that we find ourselves facing today in our world is the problem of loneliness and isolation. Man was created for fellowship, primarily to have fellowship with the Lord, and then secondarily to have fellowship one with another. You remember that when God looked upon his creation, he saw all that was good, and then he noted that Adam needed a help meet for him. And so the Lord created a companion for Adam, Eve. And you have the institution of marriage. And then Adam and Eve were commanded to replenish and multiply. And so they brought children into the world. And this entire society that we live in today originated in the garden. And so we enjoy the companionship of one another. Husbands and wives enjoy a unique companionship. And then all of us who are part of the family enjoy the companionship of families. And then we have our friends and those in our community. And there are various ways in which we can enjoy companionship. And God has made us thus. But there is a problem that enters into all of our relationships, primarily with our relationship to God, and then that affects every relationship that we have. It is the problem of sin. Sin is the thing which has breached our fellowship with God and with one another. We need fellowship. We're made in the image of God, and therefore we desire to experience fellowship. In an article entitled, America is Lonely, the Epidemic Few Are Talking About, and by the way, uh, both of the articles that I'm going to uh, refer to this morning were published before the COVID pandemic situation. Just in 2018, a study was conducted by Cigna Health, and in an article written by Matt Gonzalez and published in the recoveryvillage.com website. Uh, We note that as the author writes, today, he says, Americans are lonelier than they've ever been. This contagious feeling has reached epidemic proportions in the United States as people of all ages and backgrounds struggle to find a sense of belonging. A study conducted by Cigna Health showed that people ages listen 18 to 22 were more likely to report feeling lonely than were older generations. The discovery coincides with multiple reports unearthing the rising levels of depression among young people. Uh, One finding from San Diego State University suggested that screen time can contribute to depression and suicide and loneliness among our teenagers. A separate Harvard report indicated that loneliness can harm our physical health, including brain function. Feeling lonely can also increase stress levels and inflammation, which can raise a person's risk of developing arthritis, heart disease, and type 2 diabetes. Additional effects of loneliness include feelings of hollowness or emptiness, anti-social behavior, a reduction in self-care such as bathing or grooming, sleep problems, cognitive decline, cardiovascular disease and stroke, and the progression of Alzheimer's disease. 
According to the article, loneliness and social isolation have been linked to substance use and addiction. In an attempt to numb their psychological distress, many people who feel severely lonely turn to drugs or alcohol. They might engage in these substances to experience a euphoria that allows them to temporarily escape their negative emotions. And then in an article uh, published by NPR in January of 2020 and written by Elena Rankin, it says more than three in five Americans are lonely. With more and more people reporting feeling like they are left out, poorly understood, and lacking companionship, according to a new survey that was released at the time of the printing of this article. The author goes on to write, pervasive loneliness has widespread effects. Uh, according to Bert Yukino, a professor at the University of Utah who studies relationships and health, it's strongly linked to mental health issues such as anxiety and depression. It's an urgent time for the study of loneliness, Yukino adds, more and more research suggests that its impacts don't end with mental health. Evidence is really pointing to the fact that relationships, the kinds of bonds you have with people, how close you are, how connected you feel to others, impact physical health as well. The report found several factors that were linked to increased feelings of isolation in 2019. Loneliness appeared to be more common among men the survey found that 63% of men uh, were found to be lonely compared to 58% of women. Social media use was tied to loneliness as well, with 73% of heavy social media users considered lonely as compared with 52% of those who use it lightly. Feelings of isolation were prevalent across generations. Gen Z, the people 18 to 22, uh, when surveyed, had the highest average of loneliness on the 80-point scale, about a 50, and boomers had the lowest, about a 43. The report found people with good co-worker relationships were 10 points less likely on the 80-point scale uh, to be lonely, and those who reported a good work-life balance were less lonely as well. When colleagues felt like they shared goals, average loneliness scores dropped almost eight points. In other words, when people were working together and in good relationships, they felt less lonely. He goes on to write, in-person connections are what really matters, says Doug Nemesek, chief medical, chief medical officer for behavioral health at Cigna. Sharing that time to have meaningful interaction and a meaningful conversation to share our lives with others is important to help us mitigate and minimize loneliness. Now, these are things that were written right before the pandemic, right before we were all sequestered into our homes and we were no, not able to meet together and shop together and, and all the things that we enjoyed doing. Now, there are many, many articles that you could spend the time researching to talk to us about how the pandemic situation has affected uh, the loneliness levels, the depression uh, of people in this generation. But we understand that loneliness and isolation, depression, discouragement, suicide is on the rise in our nation. Uh, so too is drug and alcohol abuse. You see, loneliness 
is a universal condition that is here because of the results of sin in our hearts and upon our society. David felt the uh, loneliness in his time in the cave when he was fleeing from Saul. And by the way, you, you can be surrounded by people and still be lonely. And there are many today who are. In fact, we have more means of communication and more methodology to communicate uh, than we've ever had before. And although we have all of this social media, uh, we have an epidemic of loneliness in our land. David, with his men in the cave, made this statement. Verse 4 of Psalm 142. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. Have you ever been there? Well, you may be there this morning. You may be a member of the Tabernacle Baptist Church. And, and as a member of the church, you're dealing with things, troubles and trials. And although there are people all around you, though you come week in and week out, you may be here this morning and you may feel the same way that David felt that nobody cares for your soul. But I have some good news for you. There is a friend who sticketh closer than a brother. There is one who cares for your soul. His name is Jesus. You see, because into this lonely, hurting world entered the Son of God. And may I say this to you, that no one suffered the loneliness and the rejection that the Lord Jesus Christ suffered in his earthly life. The Bible says in John chapter one, verse number 11, he came unto his own and his own received him not. Imagine this, uh, the creator of the universe comes into his creation and his creation does not acknowledge him. Imagine this, uh, a king, uh, the king of the Jews comes to his own people, those who were uh, supposedly looking for him. And when he enters, they receive him not. You see the Lord Jesus, the Bible says in Isaiah 53 and verse number three, uh, was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and may I say, acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. In fact, when he hung upon that cross, while, the, while the, the crowds gathered around him and mocked him and jeered him, what is it that he said? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You see, God the Father could not even look upon God the Son because he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us. And there was separation. There was loneliness in that hour. And the, the song we often sing, there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. I want to tell you, you may be here this morning and you're lonely. You don't feel that anybody cares for your soul. I want you to know that Jesus, the son of God, cares for your soul. Now, how do we know that? Well, we think in the Old Testament about a servant girl named Hagar who was despised by her, her mistress, Sarah. And uh, Sarah sent her away and Hagar was out in the desert and thought she was going to die out there. But there the Lord met Hagar and he spoke to her. And she called the name of the Lord, thou God seest me. I want to tell you, when you don't believe anybody sees you, let me explain something to you. Jesus sees you. Then I think about Jacob. And he heard that his brother was coming. And he was afraid because Esau 
uh, he anticipated Esau was going to be angry with him uh, because he had stolen the birthright and uh, robbed him of the blessing. And uh, so uh, the Bible says that Jacob plotted all that night and sent his family over and he came to the brook and the Bible said he sent over that he had. He was all alone. There was nobody there, just Jacob. And I want to tell you that Jesus showed up on the scene in the midst of Jacob's loneliness. Joseph no doubt experienced loneliness in the pit and rejection as he languished in the prison of the Egyptians, but God was with him. Moses experienced loneliness on the backside of the wilderness. Think about in the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus when he came to the well at Sychar and the Samaritan woman came uh, in the noonday hour, a time when she knew no one else would be coming to the well because of the heat of the sun of the day. And so she came uh, to draw that water because none of the people there in Samaria would have anything to do with her. She uh, she was a woman who who had been in sin and, and no doubt was despised by others. But yet the Lord Jesus came to her in the hour of her loneliness. I think about uh, the woman with the issue of blood who had been sick for many years and spent all that she had and uh, was none the better, but rather she grew worse and, and she thought, there's no help for me. But then she heard about Jesus and she thought, I'm just going to try and get to Jesus and see if I can touch the hem of his garment. I, I'm just one voice, one face in the crowd. I'm just going to try to slip in and, and touch the hem of his garment and see if anything happens. And immediately when she did, uh, she was healed. The, the Bible says that the Lord stopped and said, virtue has gone out of me. And uh, this woman who certainly did not want to be singled out, she was singled out by the loving Lord Jesus. He said, wait a minute, you're not going to get away with getting a healing and not telling these people about it. They need to hear about it. In fact, there was a man there named Jairus whose daughter was dying and he needed to hear what that woman had to say. Let me just tell you this morning, you might be the quiet type. Oh, I don't want to get up in front of a crowd. I don't want to say anything to anybody. Let me just tell you this. There are people out here who need to hear your voice. They need to hear your story. She was all alone, but Jesus healed her. I think about what these Philippians would have thought about as they thought about this loneliness. How about that girl who was possessed of an evil spirit? She was a servant. She was a slave. And her masters in Philippi, uh, they used her for their own personal gain. They, they would have her tell the fortunes of the people there in Philippi and they would profit from her, but she was possessed with the devil. And one day as she was walking about town, she saw Paul and she began to follow him and his companions. And she said, these are the men who, who show us the most high God. These are the, the prophets, the, the, the apostles of the Lord Jesus. And Paul was grieved and he commanded that evil spirit to come out from her. And I want to tell you, she was saved and delivered from her sin and her bondage. And she came to Jesus in the midst of her loneliness in a time when nobody cared. So you can't leave this morning. You may leave this morning saying nobody cares, but you can't rightfully leave saying that nobody cares because I want to tell you that Jesus cares. And I want to say this to you, the people in this auditorium care. The people of this church care about you. Now we could all do a better job doing it. And I hope that God challenges this day with his word so that we will do a better job. But I'm glad that the Lord has met the needs of my loneliness. I'm glad that I can hold up in a lonely hour because I have partners who are in this together with me. I don't have to go it alone and neither do you.
Now, I want you to note three things this morning as we look at these verses. And uh, we'll look together uh, at verse number two and verse number three. As we think about this theme, stand fast in partnership. And here are uh, the things that we're going to look at. Number one, the reckoning that unites us. The reckoning that unites us. Number two, the relationships that unite us. And then finally, the responsibilities that unite us. Well, let's look first of all at the reckoning that unites us. The reckoning that unites us. Uh, notice again in verse number two, and I, I beseech Euodius and beseech Syntyche. Aren't you glad your mom didn't name you either one of those? You know, growing up, I, I don't know why. I just didn't particularly care for my name. I, I have no idea why. I just didn't. And and uh, now I've gotten used to it and over the years. I mean, and I'm happy if my mom's in the building. Mom, I'm sorry. It's, you didn't do a bad thing. It just, you think about things like that when you're a kid. And, and um but I'm really grateful that my name's not Euodius or Syntyche. By the way, these are female names, and I'm really glad, really glad that I don't have a female name. Now, I know we're living in 2021, and, and, and that's not even a politically correct statement anymore, but I'm glad that we don't have to be politically correct. We just want to be biblically correct, right? I, I, I can imagine now the church at Philippi is gathered together. And this letter is being read, okay? And it's almost like saying, you know, I beseech Melanie, that's my wife, and Carol, that's my mother, that they be of the same mind. Now, as soon as I said their names, do you know what's going to happen? Their ears are going to perk up, right? And then they're going to wonder, well, why in the world did he mention me? And he didn't mention them in a good context either, right? I beseech Euodius and beseech Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Notice verse three, and I entreat the also true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Here we see the reckoning that unites us. Now, what do you mean by reckoning, pastor? Well, it's not just, but it is somewhat. You know, like, like they say, you know, out in the country, I reckon. I agree. I think you're right. Okay. The word reckon means to count it so. And so what we're seeing here is Paul saying to these women who are obviously in some type of disagreement. Now he doesn't give an explanation as to what the nature of the disagreement is. He just tells us that they're in disagreement and he beseeches them. The word beseech means I, I'm begging of you. I'm begging of you that you be of the same mind, that you begin to think alike. Now, what an interesting proposal, that two women are going to think the same way, or two individuals, whether they be women or not, to think the same way. How will that happen? Well, I want you to know there's a way that happens. Because God has revealed to us in the pages of his word how he thinks. His word is the expression of his mind. He has given to us in the, the presence of the Holy Spirit, he has given to us the mind of Christ. So we have the mind of Christ. We have the Holy Spirit. Now we also have the mind of the flesh. And there's a battle going on in the realm of the mind. 
As believers, that's where Satan is waging his war against us in our mind, in the way we look at things, in the way we think about things. The old nature versus the new nature. And we have the mind of Christ implanted, given to us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the communication of the word of God. So if you're a Christian and there's another person in this building with whom you may not agree, let me just tell you, if the two of you will agree that God's word is authoritative and to obey it and to honor it, and you will follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit, do you know an amazing thing will happen? Two people who are in disagreement will learn to agree through the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the power of the word. Do you believe that this morning? God is able to do that. And you see what happens to us is Satan wars against us and he tries to work in our minds to, to get us to divide. Maybe it's over preferences. Uh, maybe it's over personality. We all have different personalities and they don't always naturally mesh. Maybe it's over preconceived notions. You know, the devil puts things in your head. Has he ever done that in your life? He'll have you convinced that somebody doesn't like you. He'll have you convinced that somebody said something about you. You'll see some people whispering and you'll wonder, are they talking about me? You see, this is the way the devil operates. Sin is the problem. Satan is the problem. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, verse 10, only by pride cometh contention. If you're facing disagreement in your life, in your home, in your relationships, I want to tell you there's one cause, well, actually two. Number one, sin in your own heart. Number two, Satan, who's working against your mind. Only by pride cometh contention. So if there is contention, if there's disagreement, Yodius and Syntyche, if there's disagreement, then know this, somebody, maybe both parties, are guilty of the sin of pride. Now, there are other sources. Lust, lust wants more than what God has given. Envy, envy wants what other people has. Jealousy, which you, 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 you wish you had it and they didn't. Uh, greed, can't have enough. I'm never satisfied. The Bible says the eyes of man are never satisfied. The more we have, the more we want. You know it's true. Unforgiveness, bitterness. Hey, let me tell you this. Satan, <clears throat> excuse me, is the accuser of the brethren. And he's working, accusing the brethren in your own heart and your own mind. He works in our minds to discourage us, to divide us because he knows that we're the family of God and he wants to disrupt the family of God. That's why the Bible tells us in Ephesians 4, verse 32, and be ye kind one to another. How do you treat your spouse, sir? How do you treat your spouse, ma'am? How do you treat your children? How do you treat your parents? How do you treat one another? Well, there's a rule that God gives us that we're to treat them with kindness. You know, it's hard to be harsh it's hard to get those digs in, isn't it? And be kind. You can't do both at the same time, right? It's hard to exact vengeance for a perceived problem or on a perceived problem or attack and be kind. Tenderhearted, that's the next word. Be ye kind, one to another, tenderhearted. That means you care about that person. You have compassion on them. You're not coming with a heavy hand and a 
cold resolve to inflict pain upon them. No, you are tenderhearted, forgiving one another, not holding grudges, not thinking about all the wrongs that you have suffered at their hand, but forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Can you imagine if you and I in the midst of our trouble came to God and said, Lord, here I am and I need help. And he said, well, wait a minute. Uh, you remember last week when I impressed on you to witness to a lost soul and you didn't do it? You, you remember that old habit that you've been struggling with and you've asked me to forgive you and I have, but yet here you are doing it again. What if God treated us that way? Aren't you glad he does it? No. And because he does it, neither should we treat one another that way. You see, Paul is saying to Yodius and Syntyche, the problem that you have is a mind problem. It's the way you think. It's the way you think. And if you and I are going to be united, if we're going to stand fast together in partnership, we need our thinking corrected. The Bible says in Amos 3.3, can two walk together except they be agreed? The answer is no. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 in verse number 10, he said, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. The same message is coming out of your mouth. You're not speaking attacks against one another. You're not speaking with criticism. You know, I, I was driving down the road yesterday. I had a lot of time to think coming back from the game. And uh, I was thinking about the spirit among a lot of Christians the spirit among a lot of Baptists, the spirit among a lot of independent Baptists. Now, it's not just, uh, as I said, it's, it's not just uh, characteristic of independent Baptists. I think it's characteristic of, of all people. But we have a tendency to criticize everybody outside of our little realm. We criticize people. Now, that's part of a sin problem. That's part of the flesh problem. But, it, you know, if you, didn't, if, if you didn't go to a certain place, if you didn't follow a certain teaching, if you, if you didn't subscribe to a certain set of, of, of dogmas about how things ought to work, then, then people begin to criticize and tear down. And within the larger scope of certain movements, you have smaller uh, entities that uh, because of jealousy and because of strife and, and because of a desire on their part to, to be the leader of the pack, they begin to criticize one another. Preachers criticizing preachers. It's ridiculous. Pastors who receive so much criticism, more than anybody else on the earth, ought to understand that they shouldn't be critical of one another. But yet they are. And Christians who are facing the wrath of the devil and the world should not be criticizing and tearing one another down, finding small, inconsequential, foolish things to fuss about. We need to recognize that we're in this together. And I want you to know the intensity of the opposition of Satan and this world is flaming hotter than it's ever flamed. But God is using it to burn out the dross in some of our hearts. 
the things that we allow to divide us are so foolish and immaterial. You may have a preference, you may have a conviction, but you can't enforce that. You can't push that on everybody. You see, we're in a church of diverse people. I have people, well-meaning people, who come to me and, and they have suggestions all the time. By the way, by the way, please don't take this as, as a reproof to keep to stop giving me suggestions. We have a body of deacons and, and they advise me and I have staff and we have discussions. And we have finance committee and we have discussions and I want everybody's input. There's a false perception about how things are done around here. This is a group effort. This is a team effort. And I welcome your input and I want you to express it. But having said that, you have to understand that your particular point of view is one of many. And what we have to understand is we can't insist that our point of view be the preeminent point of view. What we must do is reckon that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the head of this church. And that we are going to follow him and we're going to follow the principles of his word and we're going to respond to one another in grace and in love and we're going to stand fast together in partnership. Uh, next Sunday evening, we'll have a quarterly meeting. We'll share the financial report. We'll, we'll have some issues at hand to vote about. I have one vote. You have one vote. That's the way this works. We're in this together. This is the church of the Lord Jesus. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's his church. But praise God, we all benefit from his church. We believe the Lord is the head of the church. We believe God places the pastor to help lead the church under the Lord. We believe that the church is served by deacons and officers. But we believe that the church moves forward and approves measures congregationally, congregationally. And if that's going to happen, we have to be of the same mind. We have to stand fast in partnership because of the reckoning, the way that we think that unites us. You see, we were once strangers and aliens, Ephesians chapter 2 but now, verse 13, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh. We all have access, praise God, into the throne of his grace. He has committed it unto us, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 18. He has committed unto us the ministry or the word rather of reconciliation. And therefore we carry that ministry out. And so may the Lord help us to live at peace with one another in harmony and fellowship. And then with the world, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 11, seek peace and ensue it. Romans 12 and verse 18, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. We're not out here stirring it up. We're not out here. I mean, the way some Christians talk about our political leaders, and I don't agree with the majority of them, but the language and the tone coming out of the mouths of Christians does not exemplify the spirit of Jesus Christ. The language and tone that comes out of our mouths when we talk about particular groups in this nation who have forsaken the truth of God, 
does not exemplify the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. And may God help us to exemplify that spirit. Proverbs 16 and verse 7 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. I think about Abraham, and uh, he was, of course, with Lot, and there was a strife between the herdmen of Lot and the herdmen of Abram. And uh, the Bible tells us very, very particularly that in the midst of that strife, the Canaanite, Genesis 13, verse 7 and 8, the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelt then in the land. You see, Abraham was called of God to go out to a land that he would show him. He said, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a blessing. Abraham was there to be a testimony for the Lord. But Abraham and Lot were having a church split. Have you ever had or experienced or know someone who does? Or maybe you've heard about a church split. What a dreadful thing, right? A big contention in the church. Well, do you know what Abraham did? He said unto Lot, let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Here's Lot, he, uh, he, he's, he's the younger, and Abraham the older. Abraham is the one God called, and Abraham submits to Lot and says, Lot, you take whatever portion of land you want, because here's what you and I need to remember. The Canaanite and the Perizzite are living in the land, and they're watching to see how we handle this conflict. So let's handle it in a way that glorifies our God. That's what our church ought to be known for. It's not that we always, and by the way, we don't always agree on every decision, but we come together in agreement because we're following Jesus. Number one, the reckoning that unites us. Now, I got some good news for you. That's the longest point, all right? Number two, the relationships that unite us. If I'm going to stand fast together with my church family, I've got to get my mind right. And then I have to realize that I am related to these people. You know, in a family, uh, you, have, uh, you have people that, that you're related to. Sometimes you're happy about it and sometimes you're not, right? But you can't change the fact that you are a blood relation. And by the way, you and I who know the Lord, too many has received him. To them gave he the power to become the sons of God. So everyone who comes to Jesus in faith, believing, has been transformed and has become the son of God, the child of God. And so if all of us are the children of God, what does that mean? That means we're brothers and sisters. So welcome to the family. Notice what he says here in verse 3. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, that word true yoke fellow means that these are people who are not illegitimate. <laughs> these are people who've been natural born, spirit, uh, spirit uh, indwelt, true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. That means, hey, you are family. You are not only family, but you are yoke fellow. You are in the yoke together and you are serving the Lord. So we find we're, we're, we're in this together. We're not alone. Psalm 68, verse 6, God setteth the solitary in families. 
Aren't you glad to know that? We say often, tabernacle is a family. I say it often in our Christian school because many of those children don't have the benefit of being a part of this church on, on, on a regular basis on the Lord's Day. But our Christian school is a family. Our church is a family. We are the family of God and God delights in setting the solitary in families. You see, the church was made to function. That's to glorify God and get the gospel out. And the church was made for fellowship. Acts chapter two, verse 42. And they, that is those who believed, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. You see, that's what the church does. The church, the assembly, that's what the church means, assembles. They fellowship together. We have a common relationship that unites us. Now, sometimes our children will get entangled in an argument. They'll have a disagreement. Sometimes husbands and wives will have disagreements. But we don't allow those disagreements. And by the way, those disagreements cannot change the nature of our relationship. You see, my children will be brother and sister until the day they die. They may have disagreements, but they need to recognize something. They are family, and when family has disagreements, family works out disagreements because you can't separate from your family. And we need to recognize that as a church. And when we submit to the word of God and the Holy Spirit, we will recognize it, and we have recognized it, and thank God for it here at Tabernacle. You see, we are members of his body. Would you like part of your body to decide that he's, he's sick of you and wants to be free of you? Well, that wouldn't be a good situation, would it? No. You might limp along or you might even die without parts of your body. We're members of his body. We're part of the family. We're fellow laborers. We have a job to do and we have a relationship to experience. Now, we're united, as I said a moment ago, by our relationship with the Lord Jesus. We are to be unified by our love, one for another. You see, if you don't love everybody in this room, I want to tell you why. It's not because they don't deserve your love. Although I would say with you, you're right, they don't. None of them do. I don't deserve your love. I don't know, I don't know that you deserve mine. But there is one who does deserve it. You know who that is? That's Jesus. You see, we love him because he first loved us. And Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. I want to tell you that I think one thing God has taught me in 13 years as pastor of Tabernacle Baptist Church or any church that he would have led me to. It's not just with this church, but any church that he would have led me to. I think one thing he's taught me is how to love people. Now, I don't love you perfectly as I should, but I can tell you I've learned to love you much more than I even imagined I could. You know how that's happened? That's happened by the power of the Holy Ghost. Now, you know, honestly, there are some people in this room who may not love me to the degree that I wish they did. And I've had to learn to accept that. Now, I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer here, all right? That's not the point. And I don't need pity because I'm not asking for it. You see, we all naturally love people who love us. 
But it's hard to love people who don't love you, who disagree with you, who criticize you. But you know, I can tell you that God has taught me how to love those people. Now, I, I'm not up here to hold myself up as a poster boy. I, I want you to understand that. But I hope God's teaching you the same thing. And you may be wondering, why in the world am I having such trouble with a particular person? I'll tell you why. Because God wants to use it in your life to help you love them. You say, well, their people are hard to love. Well, that's true. Maybe they are. But God has allowed you to be uniquely acquainted with them in such a capacity that you know what they need and so you can pray for them and you can love them. You see, what good is this love of God if we're not willing to shed it abroad? So we're unified by our love. So I can tell you from my heart, as honestly as I can, as truthfully as I can bear it, there's not a person in this church that I don't love, that I don't pray for. Now, I need to love you more, and I need to pray for you more faithfully. But what unites us, what unifies us is our love. You say, well, that guy gets on my nerves. Well, maybe he does, but you still have to love him. Amen? That lady said something about me 12 years ago, and, and uh, you know, it's just sticking... It's just sticking in my crawl. Well, you need to get it out of your crawl and you need to commit it to the Lord and let the love of Jesus permeate your heart. And you pray for that person. Somebody ought to say amen right there. Amen. We're unified by our love. We're unified by a common cause. We're serving the Lord Jesus. We don't have time for this foolishness. We're unified by a common foe. The hounds of hell are barking chasing after us. We don't have time to fight and argue. We are family. We fellowship together. We love one another. We serve God together. You see, if we're going to stand fast in the midst of this lonely, pressure-packed world, we're going to have to stand uh, fast with the reckoning that unites us with our minds right. We're going to have to stand fast uh, in the relationships that unite us. We are the children of God. We are family. And then lastly, we must stand fast in the responsibilities that unite us. I know it's a dirty word today, but we have responsibilities. We are servants. What do servants do? They serve. Let me ask you, what place of service do you occupy? For the Lord Jesus. Do you know there is an institution, there is a mechanism that the Lord has ordained that we serve him in. Do you know what that institution is? It's the church of the Lord Jesus. These people say, I don't, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Well, if you are a Christian, you have to go to church because God commanded it. No, you don't have to, you don't have to go to church to become a Christian. But if you are a Christian, then you need to be faithful to the house of God. And you need to serve the Lord in his church. He says, notice here if you would. Are you with me again in verse three? And I entreat the also true yoke fellow. That's our relationship. What's the next word, church? Help. Help. <laughs> hey, what did the nursery workers say? We need help. 
What does Andrew say when he's getting ready for the cantata and he wants the choir to sing? We need help. What do we say in the Christian school? Uh, we need help. 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 You know what that word help means? It means to take up the rope. Take up the rope. It's a nautical term. Those, those guys on the boat, they'd have the ropes, you know, and they're, maybe they're pulling the ropes of the sails or maybe they're pulling the ropes to get into port or out of port, whatever the case may be. But the cry was, take up the ropes. Many hands make for light work, right? You know, this is no hour to quit on God. Can I say that again? This is no hour to quit on God. If you think your role in this church is to come and sit on a pew and make a service or two a week or a month, you've sadly miscalculated what God has said in his word. We are here to serve him together. We are here to get employed in the work of God. And there should be no unemployment in the work of God. You see, there'll be no severance packages or stimulus packages offered to those who will not work in the kingdom of God. Every man is, is rewarded according to his own work. And so we are to help one another. He said, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and with other my fellow laborers. I, I wish I had time to elaborate on that point, but you ladies are vital to the health of our church and we need you. Help those women which labored with me in the gospel. If the gospel is going to go forward, what do we have to do? We have to take up the ropes. With Clement also and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Here we understand something. We're all going to the same place. Our names are in the book of life. We belong to Jesus. We're going to spend eternity together. So we better learn now to work together to work together. Because let me tell you, we're going to rest when we get to heaven, but we're also going to work throughout all eternity. We're going to be serving the Lord and we're going to be happy in the service of God. Now, let me just give you a couple thoughts here and we'll be done. We worship together. Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider one another to provoke into love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We worship together. And when we worship together, we're considering one another. We witness together. Jesus said to his disciples, ye shall be witnesses unto me. We walk together. We strive together. Philippians 1.27. Paul said that I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together. We're in the contest. We're warring. We're fighting. We're persevering together. Oh, we've had battles, haven't we? 80 years of its history, Tabernacle Baptist Church has had some, some difficult days. But thanks be unto God for those who have faithfully striven together. And I want to tell you, as I walk the halls of our Christian school, or as I listen to the kids sing or the choir singing, I want to tell you none of it, none of it, none of it could be possible had people not faithfully striven together. And some of you have been here for 10, 20, 30, 40 50 years, 60 years or more, let me just say thank you because you have been faithful. My children are growing up in a church where they're hearing the word of God preached and taught. 
It's the greatest thing I could ever possess on this earth is the New Testament church and the fellowship with the people of God. We serve together. We pray together. We rejoice together. And we suffer together. That's what we do. These are our responsibilities. May God help us to fulfill our responsibilities. Are you standing fast in partnership? You know, I I think that what happens, and I know it's what happens, when people go through hard times, loneliness, depression, anxiety, fear, stress, you know what they do? They have a tendency to withdraw. That's no time to withdraw. That's the time to get in really close. We got to stick together. And if we're not doing that, do you know what's going to happen? Satan's going to devour us. He's going to go after the weak and the weary and the distracted. He's going to go after us. And I want you to know he's coming after you. He's coming after you right now. You need to find your shelter and your security in Christ. You need to find it close to the herd. That's where those elk gather when the lion is on the prowl. They stick together. They run together. The ones that are separated become easy prey. So how are we going to stand fast? Well, we have to stand fast in our reckoning, in our mind. You know what we need to do? We need to get our mind right. Identify the problem and get your mind right. Confess your sin. Confess your sin. Make the necessary changes you need to make. We're spending way too much time looking at a screen and not enough time on our knees and in the word and in family discussions. Our children are suffering. They're suffering. We have have young people. I love them. I love them. But we have young people who can't sit through a Sunday school hour without taking their eyes off that phone. They can't make it through one service. It's an addiction. And we all suffer from it now. We all suffer from it. But I want you to understand, it's affecting our young people. Know who you belong to. You belong to God. You belong to one another. Take up the rope. Have you laid it down? Pick it up. Don't wait on somebody to come help you. Go help somebody. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.